Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. Our lectionary essay this week is by guest writer Ron Hansen. It's entitled Preparing for the Son of Man, and it's based upon the lectionary readings for November 28, 2021, the first Sunday of Advent. There's an old joke about a gruff army sergeant who, after roll call, would pass along important news. Reading aloud several items, he then said, Oh, Private Mannion, your folks' house burned down last night. The brutality of the announcement shocked not only Private Mannion himself, but also the company commander. And later the captain took the sergeant aside and counseled him to be more diplomatic and less abrupt when he talked about such personal things. After the next morning's roll call, the sergeant again read out some new information. But then he paused and looked at his soldiers and said, Everyone whose mother is still alive, take one step forward. And then, as the company of men started to take one step forward, the sergeant shouted, Not so fast, Kowalski. We have a not so fast in our gospel today. In fact, at first glance, this year's gospel for the first Sunday of Advent may seem off-putting. In this holiday season, we expect to hear tidings of comfort and joy. And instead, we hear Jesus foretelling future distress among nations and people fainting from fear and foreboding. We do not have to look very far these days to find terror and threats and evil doings of every kind. And in his prophecy, Jesus warns his disciples and Christians now to apply the same awareness and caution to the end times, just as we have been forced to do in our chaotic world. Each liturgical year begins with four Sundays of hope and expectancy. In our deliberate forgetting, we imagine that baby Jesus was not born over 2,000 years ago, so we can again be excited and overjoyed by the miracle of the Incarnation, or in the grandeur of the opening of the fourth gospel that, quote, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But not so fast. We simultaneously are urged to look forward to the calamities and dire straits that will presage the final coming of the Christ, who calls himself in our passage today, the Son of Man. And we live in the faith that even now Christ is present with us and active in even the most humdrum existences. And just as the birth of the Messiah occurred in a surprising time and place, so we are warned his second coming could catch us sleeping, weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. We are told in the gospel to be vigilant and expect the unexpected, even while we are encouraged to be patient. We are told to wait for Christ's return, not in fear and trembling, but in festive hope, for we have been affiliated with him in our baptisms. We will not be rejected. It is Christ among us who makes us increase and abound in love for one another, as St. Paul puts it in our second reading from his letter to the Thessalonians. And so we continue to pray that Christ so strengthens our hearts in holiness that we may be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The final conversion of St. Augustine had its origin in his accidental reading of that passage from Thessalonians. May its lesson also be a source of conversion for us as we await Christ's coming at Christmas time and again at the end of the world. For books this week, Dan reviews Dorothy Day, Dissenting Voice of the American Century by John Lowry and Blythe Randolph. When Dorothy Day's memoir, The Long Loneliness, was published in early 1952, the New Yorker commissioned a two-part profile about the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. Dwight MacDonald, The Foolish Things of the World, Parts 1 and 2, October 4th and 11th, 1952. The very first sentence declared that many people think that Dorothy Day is a saint, 
and will someday be canonized. That sort of talk always irritated Day. Don't call me a saint, she would say. I don't want to be dismissed that easily. Prior to her adult conversion in 1927, Day called herself a dedicated atheist. She had a well-deserved reputation as a prodigious drinker, a serial lover, a formidable intellectual, and a radical nonconformist. She was 20 when she experienced her first arrest and incarceration. The grief of an abortion led to two suicide attempts. Nonetheless, after her conversion, along with the holy fool Peter Morin, in 1933, she started the Catholic Worker Movement. The newspaper, still in print today, the Houses of Hospitality for the Hungry and the Homeless, and the Rural Farm Communes. Today, the movement claims some 240 autonomous communities. Day certainly was not a saint in the popular sense of the word, except perhaps in her fanatical cultivation of worldly failure. In their definitive account of her life and work, John Lowry and Blythe Randolph describe her as a great anomaly. She was an Orthodox Catholic and a political radical who was nonetheless profoundly at odds with both secular and religious institutions. She never voted, never registered as a socialist, and despite many accusations, was never part of the Communist Party. She protested the Vietnam War, but opposed the excesses of the counterculture of that day. One person described Day as an autocratic ascetic. Her failures as a mother to her only child, Tamar, were painfully evident and much discussed to those who knew her, not to mention a source of profound grief to Day herself. The chaos of the CW Houses of Hospitality is legendary. In her family memoir, Dorothy Day, The World Will Be Saved by Beauty, an intimate portrait of my grandmother, Kate Hennessy similarly describes her grandmother as a paradoxical woman of many complexities and contradictions. Stanley Vishniskuski, a close friend of Day who joined the CW in 1934 and remained with them until his death in 1979, once observed that people came to the Catholic worker expecting to find saints, and instead they found human beings. Robert Ellsberg, who transcribed and edited Day's handwritten diaries and spent five years with the CW after dropping out of Harvard, says that Hennessy's biography reminds us that holy people are actual human beings. The real martyrs, it turns out, are those who have to live with the saints. Despite all this, the Catholic Church has begun the official process toward the canonization of Dorothy Day as a saint. For more on her life, see the PBS documentary, Revolution of the Heart, the Dorothy Day Story, which aired in conjunction with the release of the biography by Lowry and Randolph. For films this week, we review Fantastic Fungi. A wildly popular mushroom movie? Yes, this is a wacky, whimsical, and wonderful documentary film about the fantastic lives of fungi. What really drives the popularity of this movie, a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, I suspect, is a time-lapse cinematography of mushrooms that is out-of-this-world gorgeous. Add to this a truly scientific commentary by some of the experts. But many viewers have also noted the take-your-pick hokey or irritating parts of the narration that wander into the woo-woo consciousness of tree-huggers, most notably about the medicinal powers of mushrooms. There's no doubt that the compound psilocybin that is found in about 200 species of mushrooms has some sort of healing powers. But one bad trip could also fry your brain, and so I thought that the sanguine perspective on the illegal drug was outright irresponsible. There was rhetoric like this gem from the opening lines of the movies. There's a feeling, a pulse of eternal knowledge. When you sense a oneness, you are with us. We brought life to earth, we are the wisdom of a billion years, we are creation, resurrection, condemnation, and regeneration. 
we are mushrooms. Or consider the TED Talk by the mycologist narrator Paul Stamets, Six Ways Mushrooms Can Save the World. Nor did I need to hear from the celebrity Dr. Andrew Whale about mushrooms and alternative medicine. Nonetheless, I still highly recommend this movie and watched it on Netflix. And finally, for poetry for this first Sunday of Advent. A poem by Pamela Cranston. Advent on a theme by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Look how long the tired world waited, locked in its lonely cell, guilty as a prisoner. As you can imagine, it sang and whistled in the dark. It hoped. It paced and puttered about, tidying its little piles of inconsequence. It wept from the weight of ennui, draped like shackles on its wrists. It raged and wailed against the walls of its own plight. But there was nothing the world could do to find its freedom. The door was shut tight. It could only be opened from the outside. Who could believe the latch would be turned by the flower of a newborn hand? Thank you for joining us at JourneyWithJesus.net for November 28th, 2021. I'm Debbie Thomas.